Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie, used to be Knudsen, now Bates. I am a single person, officially, as of this recording, uh, with the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador. So I'm going to, everyone's going to have to get used to the, my old name, that's now my re-new name, um, Julie Bates. Uh, and anyway, we, we're here with Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 170. And it's, uh, I think, oh, over a week late, because obviously I've been kind of tied up with <laughs> some stuff. So it'll be good to get back talking about the dog thing. First thing, of course, is going to be the G update. I've had a few new uh, videos that I've put on the Facebook page. One is her in the uh, bird pen. She's been working on the wool conditioning stuff and learning to do that. And, of course, they always just look so pitiful when they're in there because they don't really understand why am I standing in here with all these birds and I just have to stand still but she's standing in there and, then, and I use this it's not mandatory you don't have to do it but I just use the bird pen once they understand uh, stand and don't move and I can throw and say you know help up go get it and all that and they'll stay there and and I've had a little bit of the collar corrective pressure so they know there's a consequence for breaking their standing position once I get them past that, I like to uh, take them into the bird pen and begin to uh, have birds walking around. There's one pheasant that had its blinders on that literally walked right up to her face. And she's new to this bird pen stuff, so I was not sure what was going to happen. But I just gave her a real quiet whoa, and then the, the pheasant saw something there and moved on. And so <laughs> that, that did not end poorly. Uh, so that's on there, but it's just a conditioning where they get used to the movement and the smell and the frenzy and the flight of them, and, it, and they just learn to just still be cool and stay where they are. So that's on there. And then I also put a new one on where she was doing, she's doing her channel, learning water blinds. And I always start with, I have the luxury right here of having big channels and little channels and all kinds of channels. So now she's learning to you know, run channel blinds, which means you get in the water and you stay in the water all the way there and then you stay in the water all the way back. And it's a lot easier to practice that a lot, not in one spot. You can't do it in the same place because then it's just proximity based, but to do it in different places so that they learn, gosh, I get in the water and I stay in it all the way to the end and back. Really nice way to start. And so she's doing that. And I also, I even said on the video, if everyone notices, she is swimming normal. So... <laughs> She's, it, we, we lose a lot, we lost some of that panic thing that was kind of funny in the beginning. But So she's uh, running land blinds, cold land blinds, uh, beginning to associate them with marks a little bit. Uh, she's doing her water blinds right now, and I need to get it in before, you know, it gets too cold here. We still have a month or two for all that. Um, and the marking and stuff is good. And again, I, I just need the steadiness in the upland field. She's de-chased, she points. But boy, when that bird starts coming up and things get exciting, it's hard to get her to, to stay still. So that's why I said, all right, now it's time to do this. So she's been out of upland work for a few weeks here. I need to get this thing going and we'll go back. And her sister is uh, almost in exactly the same exact spot. I have the two litter mates here. Um, so those guys are coming along really nicely. I'll try to get more videos out. It's just when you're doing the real technical stuff, you can't video and uh, manage the dog at the same time. So that's the G update. Everything goes really well on her. She's a 
She's a sturdy girl still. I'll tell you, that dog could bring an ostrich back if you needed to. So that goes well. What I'm going to do with the rest of this session is I've got a number of listener uh, questions that I want to get to. And one of them is a, I think it was on one of the, either the last session or session before, somebody with a puppy and wanted to know how to do the choke chain work. And came back again with a response saying, okay, but I'm having a lot of trouble with here. I think the dog is either four or five months, somewhere in that, almost a teenager age. And you want to have the here. And the dog is obsessing with the cord that it's wearing um, more than it is res responding to the command here. So, <laughs> so again, what I'll do, one, at that age, you can't get it just the way you'd like it to, like it will be a little bit later on when you do begin the, the real formal stuff. All right, so just don't call them, you know, if you're not in a position to do something. But when you do your leash work, like I had explained earlier on the choke chain work, you, we're not going for any distance at all. You know, every time people come do this with me, I always say, well, let's get just three feet away, not 10 or 20. Distance is not the goal. Response is the goal. So you put the little dog on a sit in front of you. You have your leash on. We're just doing leash stuff. Right? And you say here, and you have to have a little impulse with that. You know, it has to be something that they don't want again. They don't want that little jerk on the choke chain. So they come to you, come forward. You can back up a couple feet. Boom, have them sit in front of you. Do practice a little bit of that in the midst of the rest of you. So that here means you need to kind of hustle toward me. And you, the timing of the thought is what's important. Not the fact that they come to you like you're reeling them in. Not that. You want a little bit of that. All of your work will be that way so that when you say sit or when you say here, they are executing that, whether it's on their own or because you're helping them execute that. So now when you go out, let's say you're out in the field and you, your dog's dragging a cord. I would encourage you not to pay any attention to the cord because the bigger deal the cord is to you, the bigger deal it is to the dog. So unless it becomes truly problematic, but if you have a very, very light cord that's not real easy to carry, you know, if you have a big old rope thing, then that's kind of, it's uh, pleasurable to carry that around. But if you have a real thin cord, so wear gloves <laughs> so it doesn't rip your hand skin. And you're out there in the dog, you get a perfect position you, so that there's, there's not a lot of uh, loose you, you, you cord, right? It's not, you're not like you're gonna have to reel it in a little bit to get some tension on there. Just pick it up and stay here and just jerk that cord. If it's in their mouth, it will come out when you jerk it. But you want them when you're basically on your walk and you're going to give a little bit of here is just like you were on a leash and they were three feet in front of you. They will now be coming toward you and then sitting or healing, whatever it is. You have to give an ending to it. So you can't have it perfect, but make any time you do say it, it's absolute. And including on a retrieve, on a puppy, if they're out there and they kind of want to run around with the retrieve, I'll use that cord and I will get them back to me with or without the bumper. Because what's important is you come back to me and I'll work out that bumper business later. But when I call you to me, you have to come. So it's not hard and fast, but you've got to get into that dog's head that that command, when you say here, it does mean something. It won't be like it's going to be when they're nine months old or 10 months old. 
but at least make sure that it's a little bit of a sharper, shorter synapse path on, on that. And, you know, just never mind if they're carrying it around. Get a real light one. That'll make it hard. And make sure that when you, you jerk it hard enough, it comes right out of their mouth um, when you call them to you. So that's, that's that one. The next one is pretty important. I've had a bunch of this with some of the dogs that I've, I've gotten in in the last, I don't know, well, maybe always. But a real important one, and that is having a dog understand um, being out in the open with you, um, not on a leash. And that is something that every single breed of dog, I don't care, size, purpose, whatever, really they should have. They should have. So for those of you, and most people that are listening to this are upland hunters, ultimately your goal with this dog that you've gotten, or I don't care if you have a Lhasa Apso and you just want it to go hiking with you a little bit, your goal is when you're out in the field, out on the hike, out in the mountains, out in a, the forest, whatever you're doing, that this dog knows to stay with you. Okay, that's, it knows to stay with you. And not just for 30 seconds, but for three hours. And this is most easily taught to dogs from eight weeks to four or five months. Most easily taught then. And if you bring them up, and of course it's the walk, is, a, is really the primary part of that. If you undertake this with this dog a lot, and not with other dogs, and not with other people, and I always have to say that, and I don't say it because I'm just being like an old school marm nagging everybody. I'm saying it because it's really important that it's you and this dog, and you go out and do this together. And you want to start this when you get the pup at eight weeks. Now, granted, there's some safety issues, little guy, and you know where they can be, where there's not nasty germs or other dogs or all that stuff. I realize sometimes that's difficult. But if I had to do it in a big old just plowed out field that had nothing in it, I would do it with the dog to get the two of us out. When you start when they're eight weeks old, nine weeks old, assuming they're physically capable of walking for 10 minutes, which at that age they certainly should be, you go somewhere where they're safe and there's not other dogs and other people and the two of you take off on this walk. And you go at a pace that is somewhat challenging to the puppy, but not harmful. And you don't stop and wait for them. You go through there and by continuing to move. Now, in the very first few days, right, you may have to pick the puppy out, take it out with you, and then walk back to your vehicle or wherever you came from. You may have to do that because they won't have any context for what you're doing. But this walk is so important. Even if walking is difficult for you, you know, whether, you know, you have a bad knee or something that makes it difficult, if it's possible for this to be done, it needs to be done. Because, and you just take off and you go, and there's so much happening right now. So you don't stand there and encourage them because that give, they're in control. They are in control of the situation. You kind of take off and they need to come with you. If you got to scare them a little bit, there's something. Or sometimes they won't come with you. Pick them up, take them with you a little while, put them down. It might take a few days with some dogs to actually understand, oh, we're walking through here together. But you get them to do that and you go walking at a speed that is 
uh, somewhat challenging but doable for them. And teach this dog that we have one, it's just the two of us, we're together, we're very connected, and we're going to go through, we're going to go here, there, different, needs to be different places, otherwise it's just a proximity-based thing. And you teach them that this is an adventure and we're in it together. And I'm the colonel and you're the private. And you pay attention to where I am and I'm not going to talk and talk and talk and make noise and just yammer all the time because nothing on the planet Earth likes that, not human or otherwise. And you go out and teach the dog, here we are together. And we're both going to experience this, you at six inches off the ground, me at six feet off the ground. And we're going to feel the weather and the wind and the smells and see the things that are here and what's on the ground and find out what's edible and disgusting. And we're going to do this together. And you do that as the weeks and months go by. And now this dog has you factored in to its thinking when it's out there doing things. You are factored in. Now, if you take all your dogs and half the family goes with you, then we're just having a party. And you, you're not factoring in is highly significant. You're just the opportunity provider. That's it. You're not the one to share the experience with. So that's, I, the criticality of that is I can't even, I cannot estimate it. It is huge. And if you can do this, and let's just say every day, if you could do it every day, then that dog, in, in addition to the health benefits and the exercise and all that, is very connected with you because you two go do this very cool thing together. And it learns that you decide where you go and you decide the speed and you decide you know, whether you go over stuff here, there, wherever. And you become the primary focus of this dog. One of there's also the environment itself is, but you are always factored in. So that when you do start training and when you do want to go hunting, the dog doesn't just go birds in the field and take off. I just hear that question so many times. Or my favorite, well, I have a collar and I'll buzz them or I'll vibrate them or I'll do something to let them know they're too far. You don't, again, they're controlling everything. You can teach these little guys by starting this way that they never go out of whatever is a good range for you. That's as far as they ever go. And then when you be, have more training and you have more means to communicate that, then you just show them, hey, even now, even when you know about cool stuff out there, you only go this far, and you give the responsibility back to the dog. So important. So I've had so many dogs in re recently that I have to train who have no idea that they need to be concerned about what I want or what we're doing when we go out in the field. And so the only way then is you got to come back in with strong obedience and an electric collar to go, all right, here's how this goes. And it, you don't have to, to do that if you raise these little guys to understand um, that it's you and it's them. So it's uh, challenging to do the walk with dogs every day because life is busy and life is demanding and sometimes access to good places to do that is difficult to come by but you just have a few months in the window of time with this dog to do this my little wiener dog that I've gotten and I've, I there's some videos of her on there uh, and she's five months old right now I believe okay she's done the walk every single day not with other dogs not with other people she does the walk, and when I first got her, she would just find something and just go chase a leaf or just go off 
like I wasn't even there. Very, what else? Very hard for me. <laughs> it was very hard. So we walk every single day, seven days a week. I don't care what's happening. On the road, not on the road, wherever. By that, I mean traveling, not literally walking on the road. And now, now, now that she's five months, it's not 100%, but she knows that she has to see where I am and go where I'm going. Even if there's bunnies around, which we're not fully there yet on that one, but she knows she's supposed to. Sometimes she just can't quite control herself. So I have taught by doing the walk, by doing doing the leash breaking and by doing the walk, this little dog, we're out here and you love it and you're hunting for every kind of little critter in the world to go get, but you always know where I am. And, and I'm not fully there, but we are where it's a lot safer now. And she doesn't just tune me out and go wherever she wants. So that was like first thing I was going to get on that dog. And that's just a little wiener dog. These big hunting dogs that we have, uh, if you start it that way, it is going to be so, so much easier. So everybody with a new puppy, um, if you haven't, don't understand what the walk is, you know, buy the book or listen to the walk podcast. I think I have a couple of them. Listen to that and go do that with the dog because you will never regret it. It is the single most powerful training tool that I have. And so I, I just think that's something that people should do with their little guys and do it frequently and get them fit and get them believing that this is like the coolest thing they do. Maybe dinner and belly rubs right up there, but this is the coolest thing. And you'll have a robust dog that you don't have to buzz, shock, do all kinds of stuff to get them to actually think that they're in some kind of teamwork with you. Okay, finally, the, the last question, which is really a consolidation of several things that I've seen, had asked and encountered lately and stuff. So I'm going to just sort of consolidate it. But what people mostly do, speaking of dogs that are young and kind of difficult <laughs> or confusing, one of the misconceptions that people have is, and I just read it on another thing here recently where it said, a tired dog is a well-behaved dog. And um, that's not really uh, that's not really what is happening there. I would say just like kids, kids that have ADHD or ADD, you know, that have the way that their mind works and all that. So then they give them the drugs, right, that make it just slow way down. You're not really addressing a lot of the problem, and I'm no expert on this stuff. But it's so when you drug dogs or, you know, just to make them just ha not have as much energy, when you just force it mechanically uh, to not have as much energy, you're really avoiding the problem as opposed to addressing the problem, particularly with dogs. You know, and I've seen people just do crazy things. You know, they'll throw for retrievers. They'll throw something a hundred times. Never mind the fact that they're teaching the dog that retrieving is not its job and not a skill and not something that has rules and and standards and and you know there's a sense of accomplishment with it it's just a thing that just blow the carbon out of your carburetor and that is really not in, in good dog education and raising and training the thing to do because the issue with dogs that have a whole bunch of energy and uh, and it's not it, it's not so much the energy i mean too much energy is an, is can be that can be problematic that's true that's one of the reasons to have a nice place to go put your dog 
sometimes where they can just be in there chewing a bone and doing their own thing and not driving everybody crazy. But generally, when you have a dog that has a very active mind and a very physical body, you have one of these dogs that is a problem for everybody. And, you know, that's my kids were like that. They were like that. They never, they, we never, uh, they were in a lot of sports and a lot of school things. So the approach that, that I took with the kids and that I take with dogs that are that way that I train all the time isn't how do I tire this sucker out. It's never that. Because the easiest way to tire anybody out is to make them do math problems. Even if they really like them, you can do enough of them that they're like, okay, this is good for a little while. I'm good with this. So that is always a better way to, now, if they're not going to do the math problem, then you, you know, if you have a kid try to do math problems and they hate math and they won't do it. But I'm not talking about kids. I'm talking about dogs right now. You have a dog have to do a bunch of thinking. And by a bunch, I don't mean spread out over a long period of time. I mean very intense and detailed for in a short period of time. So if you can take the mental energy down by using it in something that is useful, not just, you're not using any mental energy running around the yard with two dogs chasing each other and smashing into stuff. They're just doing their thing and there's no thinking at all. But if you have a dog go do the basic obedience work that we've been talking about here, or go run blinds like G is doing. When you have them, they have to go out and they have to think and focus and pay attention and think and make choices and then, you know, find out, ah, that wasn't the right one. I got to do something different. Then you take the energy level of that dog down to a, a, a level where they're just good. I'm good right now. I don't need, don't, don't ask me to do any other stuff. I just want to sit here. So, I, a a well-behaved dog is a tired dog. It's not true. A well-behaved dog is a dog that knows what the rules are and knows they hold, and so they follow them. And it's much easier to get a dog to think about things like that if they are accustomed to having to think. Not only just think one thing uh, all the time, they just do the same thing, then they don't have to think anymore. Just like if you did the same math problem over and over, pretty soon... It doesn't really even count. But if you have these dogs where they have to think, listen, respond, make choices, take responsibility, that's a dog that's going to go over and sit down and just go, I'm cool. I'm just all right for a little while here. Like somebody coming out of a physics test, a calculus test, a chemistry test. They come out and go, all right, I'm not going to, I just need to just not think for a little while. And it's very much that way with dogs. So in terms of of dog behavior and ease of having a dog to go out and just have it go nuts generally in my experience tends to make the problem worse because you have the chaotic non-thinking non-focus non-structure non-cause and effect non-choice making when you don't have that instead you just have the well run stuff then that's what expands so no, I mean, it's, it's nice to, for all of us, for all of us, the more fit you are, the less tired you get <laughs> about stuff. So the more fit your dog is, then they're not going to get that tired. 
But then if what you have done to develop their fitness, like running with you, riding on the b beside you with the bike, taking a long walk at, at heel, when they do that, their bodies are, are more fit. They have to think at the same time. And then you can get very particular on the obedience stuff that you want them to do and teach them to do remote stuff and sit on a whistle and all, you know, lay down on your way, come into uh, so many things that you can do to engage that brain because that's what the real problem is. And if you just go fatigue them so much that it's hard for them to get up, again, you're avoiding the problem of that brain is not thinking. That brain is not taking responsibility for its own actions. So um, running your dog a lot, throwing 10 zillion bumpers forward or whatever is is just a way to pass time and make you feel like you're doing something good but you're going to always have to do stuff like that and it probably isn't ever going to s s make any problems go away but because i have a kennel full of dogs half of them are just wild and crazy and after they've been here a little while they're not wild and crazy anymore they're highly energetic they run at mach 2 but they're like you know i'm, f I'm fine over here sitting now get somebody else to go do that stuff they're they have a much better feeling for themselves and their role and the expectations and who they are. They use their energy in a focused way, the way they've learned to go do stuff that they love. And then when they're not doing that, time to cool your jets, they understand it and they're fine with it. So no, I, you know, I read that uh, a, a, a well-behaved well dog is a tired dog. And uh, you know, no, a, a, a tired dog is one where you just blasted, you know, let them run out in the yard for a half hour or whatever, chase it around versus something that required the mind to focus. That drains a lot of calories and it drains a ton of energy when you do that. So that's the last one I wanted to get on that. No, don't throw a hundred things and turn them loose and let them run unless their brain is going to be, well, don't ever throw a ton of bumpers, but their brain needs to be engaged. There has to be thinking. There has to be choices. There has to be the, the, you know, the good way to do it and no, not that way. And that will be the most useful thing with these dogs. So that's the last one on that. Um, I'm getting back into the, the, you know, I'll get back into the groove of things. The uh, season other than the Master Nationals going on right now. Uh, next month, the uh, National Open goes. So everything is kind of winding down except for the, the finished stuff. And hunting season is getting going, and I might have a few things on that on the next one. And I can kind of settle in now to a little slightly different version of life and keep going on this as much as I can. The audio book is uh, it's just a matter now of getting it assembled the way that it has to be assembled and getting it into the audio book people the way that it needs to be and following all the rules and the laws and all that stuff that's the only thing that's left to do so uh, I will make sure everybody knows as soon as that is available so you don't have to read or have a big heavy book you can just zone out and fall asleep to it or whatever so I look forward to that um, I hope everybody is having a safe and healthy uh, fall and that we don't have too tough a winter on anybody and the fires go away that would also be really nice for those that have suffered that so I will be back um, I hope, like, get back on schedule maybe next Monday and get this thing going on a little more timely thing. I apologize. And uh, I hope everybody's doing well. And G and I will be back soon. <laughs>